Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Valley's conference call to discuss the first quarter 2001 results. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will be given at the time. If you should require assistance during the call, please press the star followed by zero. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded and the recording will be available on the company's website at valley.com at investors link. This conference call is accompanied by a slide presentation also available at the investors link at the company's website and is transmitted via internet as well. The broadcasting via internet, both the audio and the slides change, has a few seconds delay in relation to the audio transmitted via phone. Before proceeding, let me mention the forward-looking statements are being made under the safe harbor of the Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1996. Actual performance could differ materially from that anticipated in any forward-looking statements as a result of macroeconomic conditions, market risks, and other factors. With us today are Mr. Eduardo de Salles Bartolomeu, Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Luciano Ciani Pires, Executive Vice President, Finance and Investor Relations, Mr. Marcelo Spinelli, Executive Vice President, R.O.R., Mr. Mark Travers, Executive Vice President, Base Meadows, Mr. Carlos Medeiros, Executive Vice President, Safety and Operational Excellence, and Mr. Alexandre D'Ambrosio, Executive Vice President, Legal and Tax. First, Mr. Eduardo Bartolomeu will proceed to the presentation on Valley's first quarter 2020 performance. And after that, he'll be available for questions and answers. It's now my pleasure to turn the call over to Mr. Eduardo Bartolomeu. Sir, you may now begin. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. First of all, I hope you're all fine. In the first quarter of 2021, we kept our guards up in our operations as the COVID pandemic accelerated in Brazil. We have kept all safety measures and prevention procedures adopted in our operations. And I want to reinforce that only essential professionals are allowed in our sites. In April, we completed 13 months since the start of restrictive measures against the pandemic. And over 25% of our workforce is still working remotely. Safety, people, and reparation. These three words have been our priority since 2019, and they continue to make more sense now in this very critical moment for all of us. Well, a crisis of this dimension requires the urgency to do what's in within our reach in the best way and as effectively as possible. We have been collaborating with governments and communities since the beginning and we continue to focus our efforts on the most critical items in this fight. For this reason, Valley and other companies have forces to buy and donate 3.4 million medicines for intubation. In contribution to the National Immunization Plan, Valley allocated resources for the expansion of the vaccine production of the Butatan Institute with an estimated production capacity of up to 100 million doses per year and for the donation of 50 million syringes to the Ministry of Health of Brazil. We are attentive so that our support is accurate and effective and that our help directly reaches the people in need. This is part of our new pact with society. As I have been saying at each of our meetings, Valley is determined to fully repair the damage caused by the Brumadinho tragedy. A major step in that direction was the signing of the global settlement in February. The decision that ratified the agreement became final at the end of March, bringing another layer of legal certainty for the reparation. One of the fronts that progresses consistently is that of water security. We are working on the commissioning of the construction works for a new water pipeline 
to supply the metropolitan region of Belo Horizonte with around 6 million people. At the same time, the reparation of individual damage is progressing. Since 2019, more than 10,000 people have been part of civil or labor indemnity agreements with Bali, which sum up to almost 2.5 billion reais. We remain committed to a fair and prompt reparation for Brumadinho and the affected region. Talking about dam safety, after works to improve stability, we have already removed the emergency level of four structures this year. We hope to reduce or remove the emergency level of another four structures still in 2021. With stabilization works and actions, and respecting the safety of the process, by the end of 2025, we hope to achieve satisfactory conditions for all 29 structures which are at the immersion level today, as can be seen in the graph. We remain firm and progressing in the cultural transformation towards a safer body. Last April 15th, we launched our integrated report with the main information on Valley's economic, environmental, and social impacts. This is another delivery from Valley as a result of listening to our stakeholders. This document, in addition to presenting our ESG performance in detail, helps to demonstrate how strongly our ESG strategy is connected to our business. Another important point is that it provides detailed information about our risk management, including our assessment of emerging long-term risks. With that, we closed one more ESG gap planned for 2021, totaling 39 gaps since 2019. As can be seen, our ambition is to transform Valley into a reference in ESG practice. Well, now talking about our operational results, we started 2021 with a performance as expected, with a good improvement compared to the first quarter of last year. Our adjusted beta was $8.5 billion, the highest in our history for our first quarter, which is seasonally weaker in volumes. In iron ore, we made progress in stabilizing production, resuming the rest of the capacity halted at the Timbopeba site and at the Vargin Grande pelletizing plant. Our beginning of the year was stronger than 2020. We produced in this first quarter, which is seasonally weaker, the same as we produced in the second quarter of 2020. This gives us a lot of confidence in reaching our production guidance for this year. Spinelli will give more details on that later. In nickel, we also performed as planned, with a stable operation in Nossa Puma and in the North Atlantic refineries with Long Harbor reaching record production levels in the first quarter. In copper, however, we underperformed, with a drop of 20 to 30% in volumes of Salobo and Sucedo. This is because we are reviewing Salobo's processes, aiming to improve the safety of our operations at that, at that site, therefore impacting mine movement. In Sucedo, we had longer maintenance due to the difficulty of mobilizing contractors because of COVID-19. On another front, in terms of addressing our cash drains, the sale of ENC operations was an important step in the commitment to transform our business. This commitment was made to our shareholders in the end of 2019 and delivered in a very responsible way with the creation of a local solution that meets the demand of all stakeholders. We also signed the agreement for the acquisition of Mitsui stake in the coal and logistic operations in Mozambique, an important step towards our divestment in that business, another commitment made to our shareholders. In this sense, another relevant step was the conclusion of the revamp of the Muatis processing plants, which will allow us to achieve a production rate of 15 million tons per year in the second half of 2021. In summary, we continue to take the necessary actions to stabilize our production, ensure growth options, and allocate capital in a disciplined way.
any speaking of discipline and capital allocation, we presented one more evidence of our commitment to returning value to our shareholders with the announcement of the share buyback program this month. We are confident of our ability to deliver our de-risking and maximize value creation for our shareholders in the long term. We believe the buyback is one of the best investments for the company and one that does not compromise the continuity of dividends higher than the minimum set bar policy. With that, to conclude, summarizing for you, we are making progress with the reparation of Brumadinho quickly and fairly. We continue on the path to build a culture of safety and value. We are working hard to make our operations more stable and predictable. Our ESG commitments and strategy are increasingly linked with our business. And finally, our capital discipline remains unchanged. Most importantly, I assure you that we are doing everything we can to ensure the safety of the people in our operations in our communities. I would like to thank our 70,000 employees, our contractors, suppliers, and customers for their resilience and high guard during this critical moment through the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I pass the floor to Spinelli, who will give more details on the performance of Ironor. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eduardo. Good afternoon, all. Um, well, we've been updating about the resumption plan to, to reach 400 million tons next year. I'm going to use the same slide uh, to facilitate our explanation and uh, start uh, in my left-hand side. So you see uh, the bar today. Uh, today, remember that the concept that don't evolve from now, uh, that's the capacity we have for a year. Uh, we came from a number, the 320 last quarter. Now we have the 327. Uh, we had an uh, additional capacity in Chibopeba, 7 million tons. Remember that uh, we were running with three lines. Uh, we had uh, the startup of other three lines, so we have a full capacity in Chibopeba now. Uh, but should be 325. So we have a minus two. Uh, that we already uh, update the, the forecast of Itabira. Itabira, the last call we said would uh, reach a minus nine. Uh, we still have this minus seven as a buffer for Itabira. Itabira, we have a temporary uh, uh, problem there with the lack of capacity for uh, the disposal of the table. As we evolve during the year, we can update this minus seven, but we already put here the minus two. So that's the uh, the, the number of capacity today. Uh, I want to highlight also uh, in the right-hand side, in the bottom, uh, the information that Vajig Graji, now we we now have the startup of the daily infiltration plant. We're not adding yet a capacity here. It, it will be important in the second half when you have the whole picture of Vajig Graji growing. But it's an important milestone. Uh, that's, uh, that's the first plant of a, a sequence of, uh, of plants coming from Brukutu and Itabira, and it's an important milestone to highlight. I want to emphasize that uh, we are really committed to deliver the product production guidance for this year. Uh, our range from uh, between 315 to 335 million tons. Uh, what supports this affirmation? Well, First, firstly, we started this year in a very better uh, way, way compared to the Q1 last year. Uh, as Eduardo said, we added 8 million tons uh, this year compared to year. Seasonally, the, the second quarter is better than the first quarter. You know very well that uh, due to the, the end of the rainy season in the south and the southeast of Brazil, uh, even in the north, uh, we still have the rainy season there, but uh, June is usually drier than uh, than the other month in the, the rainy season. So we're counting on that to improve our production, uh, and we can af af affirm that we have 
uh, our guidance uh, in perspective. Uh, as Eduardo said, it's another information. The last Q2, uh, Q2 last year was the same one last year, so that's another information that we are growing uh, to achieve the guidance. And also we have many actions that I'll, I'll follow up with you in the next slide in our roadmap uh, to achieve the 400 million tons. Um, first information in the southern system, Vargem Grande, next week uh, we are advancing our tests uh, uh, with the Coveo belt, uh, this test is a vibration test. We must check the impact in our upstream dam in that site. Um, Fabrica is already testing the wet processing. Um, we expect to have the final uh, permit from A&M, the, the National Agency Mining, to keep the operation. We expect to do this in the end of this quarter. And still in the southern system, uh, in Vargem Grande, we, we are bringing online Maravilla 3 Dam. Uh, this is a very important asset for the second half. Uh, we have some civil works there uh, to finish. And, and the important information, we already have all the permits to start up this asset. Uh, only missing the declaration of stability, that's only in the end of the construction we can get. Uh, I also want to, to uh, drag your attention to the southeastern system, and it's as important uh, information. Good news here in Itabira, uh, we are anticipating uh, a partial of operation of the, the filtration plant. Uh, this will allow us to offset uh, that buffer, the risk capacity that we have in Itabira. It's a minus seven that I mentioned the first we are keeping here, but we are trying to anticipate and now already having our plan, the anticipation uh, to bring the, to, to use the filtration and try stack the, uh, the tailings. And uh, I want to update you also about Brukutu site, uh, an important asset that also are also coming online that, that is uh, toward to them. Uh, we are during, you know, the middle of the construction. We expect to finalize this construction during this year, but differently from uh, Maravillas 3, we don't have the final permit. You still have to apply in the, uh, a process of one month or two months, but uh, both processes, construction and permit, we uh, intend to uh, have uh, all completed this year. Uh, if you have any delay, it's important to say, uh, we have a, a, a backup position uh, with the startup of the filtration in Brukutu. Remember that we have filtration coming in Vagem Grande, in Itabira, and this is expected to start up in the first quarter of next year. Uh, I'll be here uh, for further questions uh, in the Q&A session. Uh, I pass to Luciano. Good morning, good afternoon. Some highlights on the financial results. Starting by cash flows, as you saw, they were very strong in a quarter. Uh, working capital had a positive contribution of 550 million. You may have been surprised, but actually the very strong sales of the fourth quarter of last year were collected this quarter. More than 1.4 billion in reduction in accounts receivable. And remember that prices spiked at the end of December remained strong in January. So. That was the reason why working capital evolved positively, despite also the first quarter being very heavy on other payments like payment to suppliers, uh, inventory build, uh, profit sharing with employees, but still working capital uh, moved positively. Uh, still on working capital, you, you may have noticed uh, that the price realization didn't actually move in parallel with the, with the PLATS price. And why was that? If you look at the fourth quarter, the average iron ore price, 62% for the quarter, was 134, whereas the provisional price at the end of the quarter was 158 because of the increase in December. So there, there was a very strong recording of EBITDA in the fourth quarter on the back of the provisional sales, whereas in the first quarter, it, what happened was the opposite. The average price for the quarter was 167, and the provisional price at the end of a quarter was still 158. 
159 actually. So the opposite, like provisional prices drag down the average price realization for the quarter, even more so compared to the fourth quarter in which they pulled up. And uh, so something to notice is that those sales that were recorded at, at 159 uh, this quarter, they will be repriced at today's prices uh, once ships arrive at ports. So therefore, you could expect a carryover of EBITDA of maybe about 300 million US from sales from the first quarter towards the second quarter, cash and EBITDA. Talking about costs, uh, C1 costs before third-party purchases, we need to look before third-party purchases because the prices have been going up sequentially. Uh, they were in line um, $14.8 per ton compared to $15 per ton in the same quarter of last year. However, despite the depreciated Brazilian real, and we now can see that for the for the year 2021, the costs are going to stay, like I said in the last call, uh, slightly higher, about a dollar higher than last year on average. And why is that? We have about 70 cents of impact from diesel prices, which increased substantially uh, in, uh, in dollar terms from last year. And there's another 30 cents that will come from a shift in the mix because of the very high prices that we are experiencing. We're doing some opportunistic production and sales, especially from the Midwestern system, which is very high cost, has costs around $40, $50 per ton. We're increasing sales from there. And although by a small proportion, it does impact about $0.30 cents the mix as a whole and C1 before third-party purchases. Uh, also on our competitiveness, uh, some words on freight. You saw the recent spike in freight rates toward spot freight rates toward $28 per ton. Under this backdrop, actually, the freight rates within Valley, they, they did not increase much from just to, to $15.7 per ton. But if things stay this way, and as we use more spot freight uh, in the second half because of our higher production, we should expect about a dollar and a half increase on average freight for Valley in the second half because of that spike in spot freight rates. Finally, a word on New Caledonia and base metals. Just a reminder, from now on, you will not record under the base metals EBITDA uh, the losses of, on New Caledonia, which were running at around $50, $60 million per quarter. And remember, also about a year ago, you didn't have Onsa Puma also operating. So today, as compared to one year ago, uh, we have Onsa Puma generating around $50 million per quarter, and New Caledonia out saving another $50 million per quarter, so a net $100 million per quarter uh, improvement in results at the same conditions of, of price as compared to last year. So these things start to make a difference as time builds up. Finally, on capital allocation, this is no doubt the big questioning. What, what are you going to do with the money um, with these higher prices? I want to call your attention. We, we, we have had a lot of consistency, and, and things are evolving quite quickly. Uh, just a year ago, we were with the dividend policy suspended. We were in the middle of the first wave of COVID-19, a lot of uncertainty, markets diving, uh, the reparation of Brumadinho not consolidated. And then in the second half of last year, once the first wave ended and reparation advanced, we resumed the dividend policy and we paid over $3 billion. Then in November, uh, prices uh, started to – actually, early December, prices started to increase from the, the, the level of $120 towards uh, higher prices. Uh, still, but Brumadinho agreement was still in discussion, so we didn't know uh, what to expect. Uh, but finally, in February, once the, the, we reached the agreement uh, and prices uh, kind of situated at a higher level than, than $120, we decided to, um, to pay another $4 billion in dividend, despite the burden uh, from the Brumadinho agreement. Uh, but prices then were still uh, uh, fluctuating, from, uh, peaked at 170 then down to 145 But after they're stabilized at 160 in April, then we announced, announced earlier this month the $5 billion buyback. And now here we are again running after prices, which are now at over $190. And naturally, 
it will create more options for cash flow allocation. So uh, as, as you can see, the recent story has been of progress within value and upward surprises in the market. So what, what will be our response? There's nothing new in our response. As we have been doing, we will make decisions and we will announce those decisions that will prioritize return to shareholders. The story remains the same. We're going to be consistent. It could be an acceleration of the buyback. We can finish the buyback earlier. It could be another increase in dividends above the minimum. It could be, it could be both of them. So you should expect that we will continue to follow this track record of returning consistently money to shareholders. The next question on the balance sheet, is it inefficient? A lot of people start to ask this. Uh, first, an, a note here, with, with low interest rates, so about 3% on a 10-year bond for value, the value of the tax shield, if you increase leverage, is, is relatively small. So, for example, if you add $10 billion on debt at 3% rates, you're going to save approximately $90 million per year in tax payments for $10 billion additional debt. So if you want a, a meaningful reposition on the balance sheet in order to really take advantage of, of tax shields, you should add 30, 40, $40 billion in debt to the balance sheet, which obviously in a cyclical industry, you, you, you wouldn't do that, right? So uh, these tax savings, they, they should be weighted against the opportunities that the financial flexibility that today we have that may bring in the future. And that's the calculation we're making. However, I also note that these... 10 billion expanded net debt target, we established that uh, two or three years ago when prices were around about $80 per ton. And with the expectation of, of stronger for longer prices, we obviously could, could increase leverage, and we are evaluating that. And most importantly, if we have the opportunity to deploy the additional capital in a smart way. So that, that's how we're thinking now about the balance sheet. And uh, now let's hand over to Q&A. <laughs> Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press the star key followed by the one key on your touchtone phone now. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the question and queue, press star 2. Please restrict your questions to two at a time. Our first question comes from Alex Hacking from Citi. Yeah, good morning, everyone, and, and thanks for the time. Um, I guess I wanted to ask about the potential for a, a base metal spinoff that's creating some headlines this morning. Um, if you could just give us some color on, you know, where you are in your thought process there, what kind of transaction you would – potential transaction you would be considering – what kind of assets you would be considering putting in it, and then what would be the sort of logic behind any potential transaction. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Alex. Um, well, let me be clear here. It, uh, it obviously, we are always analyzing oppor the, the, this uh, opportunities, okay? That's a main, the main, how can I say, driver behind us, what, what is really pushing us to that situation, I think it's twofold. One is that we are in the midst of the foundation of recovering the business, and we believe we are on the right track. And secondly, we are undervalued, both on the value as a whole and on base metal story. So it's a clear way to unlock value just in the basis of the multiples. So what we said, and, uh, and I would be clear now, to, may, to give you where our minds are, it's in the, exactly the conceptual phase of analyzing what does that mean. Uh, first of all, let's put it this way. We have assets, as you know, in Carajás, that are inter intertwined with the, uh, with the iron ore assets. We need to find out a way to how we deal with that. That's one issue that we, are, that we have to, to deal with, uh, how we organize ourselves inside. So there are several... Uh, aspects uh, within the how how can I say the precondition to do the business that we are studying. That said, analyzing. 
what is important, and then I might, because now we're in the English call, I, I can ask Mike to, Mark to help me on that. We have, first of all, as I mentioned before, to work on the foundations and on the narrative. The foundations are very clear since the beginning. We need to get the North Atlantic operations productive and, uh, and, uh, and operating uh, adequately. We need to replace capacity, so Boise's base, Salobo tree, Copper Cliff mine, and the sales of VNC. One of the things that triggers us as well, as you asked about our mines, where they are, is the sales of VNC. It unleashes us to think differently about the business. But I'll, I'll ask Mark, because he's heading the business, and I was heading beforehand as well, um, what is the narrative? I think Valley has a unique narrative here that we might be able to exploit. But uh, not to be overly repetitive, we are on a phase of studying it, analyzing the possibility. Could you help me on that, Mark? Sure, Eduardo. And Alex, uh, I think Eduardo set out very well, like, you know, the path really is, is to make sure that we get the optimal value for base metals. And he, he spoke about the need to build the foundation. Uh, maybe the, the narrative or maybe the strategic direction to optimize value, I can spend a, a minute or two on it. So I, I think more and more we're focusing in on copper and nickel in our business as, as uh, a key for our participation in the decarbonization of the economy. And we clearly have lots of opportunities, which we've described in previous calls and on Valley Day around copper, where we have uh, a current pipeline of projects that should bring us to about 500,000 tons of copper per year in, in the next few years with Salobo 3, Cristalino, Alamao. Um, we also have uh, a number of projects around the Karajas area, which can optimize through synergies with the iron ore business and the current infrastructure in the area, plus some other options, for example, Victoria Project in Canada and Project 2 who can, that can get us up to 900,000 tons. So clearly, even within the internal pipeline, we have significant opportunities for growth. On the nickel side, we spent a lot of time recently talking about the dynamic of electric vehicles and what it's bringing to the, the industry. And it, clearly, we are going down that path of the electric vehicle penetration in the auto industry and the inclusion of nickel in the batteries for the for those vehicles. Our our approach is, is that we have the products. We have the products that have diversity and quality and form to go into the the electric vehicle battery. And we have the ESG credentials and we continue to try and build those. And those credentials relate to the, the low carbon intensity of our product coming from well-regulated regulated respected regimes such as Canada. So really what we're going to really focus in on is seeing that, that narrative or, or opportunity to build in this area. Currently, just, just, by, just to give a little bit of an update, we have buyers who are very interest in, interested in the products that we, uh, that we produce right now in the electric vehicle space. We, current, we recently signed a, a significant multi-year contract with an OEM, um, it will it represents about five percent of our Class One nickel, and we see further opportunities to grow these, the sale of our our Class One nickel into this space. We have some other opportunities there in terms of uh, re, you know moving our custom, our products around. We have some opportunities with maybe some relatively smaller investments to repurpose some of our production lines to get a little bit more out. And then we have other opportunities for growth, which, which we look at. And we have, a, we have a lot of government interest talking to us to try and tease some of this out. So in the end, we're looking to, to build up to about 30 to 40 percent of our class one nickel going into the EV space. So, Eduardo, I, I think that's probably the narrative that I would, I would give in terms of how we increase value within the base metals business. Yeah. And, and, and Alex, just to conclude, uh, it's, a, it's a process that, as you asked, there are several questions that have to be answered. We are in the initial phase of going back to that view that we had in, the, in 2014, but in a much different way. Now we think we have a better foundation. We are still work to do in the foundation. We have a better narrative now. And, of course, there are several questions that have to be answered, as you asked. How would be the potential transaction? We didn't get to that yet. 
We're just in the beginning uh, phase of analyzing the possibility to unlock value. I hope I have answered your question. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you would like to pose a question, please press star key followed by the one key on your touch tone phone now. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the questioning queue, press star two. Our next question comes from Tina Tunners with Bank of America. Yeah, hey, good afternoon and thanks for the color. Um, wanted to get your perspective on the situation in China. Uh, it's been interesting to watch iron ore prices rise, even as China talks about cutting production, and yet very little production actually cut, as you point out in your release in the first quarter. So just wanted a little bit more of your perspective on what's happening there and what you see happening as the year progresses. And then if I could, a, a second question is just on any impact um, that we should think about or prepare for with regard to the Samarco bankruptcy filing. Thanks, guys. Go ahead, Mr. China Spinelli. <laughs> Hi, Timna. Thank you for the question. Well, China, we, as you said, we are, you know, we have two, two, two points, two main questions, actually. Uh, uh, we have a solid demand, you know, based on the stimulus and, and based on all, all trade war uh, problem that started some, some time ago. China is, uh, you know, is, is going really well. Uh, all the uh, indicators you can see uh, uh, coming from properties, uh, 7.8 growth rate, considering we use uh, manufacturing uh, and, and infrastructure. A lot of uh, stars, new stars last year are under construction this year. So we, we have this scenario of a, a, a fantastic uh, demand coming. Uh, the point, the, the question that we we have open here for how long we're going to have this stimulus. In our perspective, we don't see a, a, a huge, uh, you know, a, a process to, to, to stop this. We, we see as a smooth process coming uh, on the second half. We don't see this in this half. We're going to face a, a stronger demand the next uh, in the next quarter. But for the last of the year, we, see, we can see. Uh, something going on in a smoother way. On the other hand, uh, the steel supply, as you said, uh, China, you know, just after the two sessions uh, with the uh, the party uh, uh, meeting, they they came to to the to the world uh, as as a country that definitely are going after the decarbonization. They are really, uh, uh, you know, being really strong about this. Uh, we saw Tanshan, uh, as you see. Uh, the second question is how will be the rollout of these cuts? We see our uh, market intelligence. We, we can see that they are coming really uh, seriously uh, this time. Um, we can see CISA try to control this process with their uh, three uh, actions that they see, three uh, uh, do, uh, three don't do. Uh, they say that if you want to cut, cut the guys that didn't their their homework uh, in the swap production, or they didn't uh, 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 follow the permit to 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 cut something in two years, three years ago, or they are not uh, compliant to the ultra uh, emissions, low emissions that they should comply on, and other. They, they say that if you are complied to the ultra emission, part of the production are going really well in this, in this area, that you should, should allow. So again, what we can see, uh, uh, inventory is declining, uh, plus furnace in the very high utilization. So this scenario, uh, 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 for instance, is to, to have high, high prices. You can decline in the second half. Uh, and mostly high premiums. We can see uh, a support for the premiums for the whole year. If you consider that the, the utilization of blood burns will be high, price of steel will be high, margins high. So 
uh, this scenario for our forecast is to to have uh, the, the premiums in this in this level for the whole year. I'll pass to Luciano for San Marco. Timna, uh, Bali is going to be a and BHP as well. We're going to be expectators in the this San Marco JR um, bankruptcy filing. So the company has started to operate. The creditors have got some sentences in their favor, left the company no alternative but to file for JR. The process will take at least 240 days by law, likely more. The company is generating operational cash flows. Those cash flows will be available for distribution to the creditors. This is going to be done through an organized process in court. And uh, we don't have any expectation to have residual equity value from Samarco. And also there's no expectation whatsoever of any additional um, capital injections to support operations at Samarco, given that the debt is, is no recourse to, to Valley and BHP. So we're going to be at the, at the stands uh, watching what, what's going on. Participants who have already pressed star 1, please press star 1 again. Our next question comes from Mr. David Cagliano with PMO. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Um, I just wanted to, to drill down a little bit more on the, you know, the capital allocation questions uh, and issues. Um, you know, first of all, have, has, has Valley bought back any of the, uh, you know, the 270 million shares associated with the buyback that was announced in, in April? Okay, David. Um, Yes, we have. You're going to see the monthly reports we're required to file with the securities regulator in Brazil, so it's going to be available for everyone. Um, however, just notice that we had a blackout period because of these these results issued uh, yesterday, and therefore in uh, the 15 days prior to, to the issue of the results, we, we were not able to, to, to buy back any shares by regulation. Okay, and then just just um, going forward, uh, obviously, you know, uh, you mentioned it. Obviously, after regular dividends, total capex, Brumadino payments, there's still a lot of cash here. And and so, you know, the question um, in in terms of a little more detail, in terms of how you how we should expect from a cadence, from a timing perspective, um, and 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 in what form should we expect these these um, you know incremental shareholder returns? over and above the, the regular dividends. Is this something we should be expecting before, say, for example, you know, the next regular dividend payment? Uh, we haven't discussed that. So, as you said, the, the regular payments uh, occurred just in, in March and September. Um, so the, the, mo the more obvious way to um, allocate return cash to shareholders in, in between is, is through an acceleration of the buyback. But this, this could be discussed with the upcoming board, which will be elected, if, if we should or not uh, do something interim. But, Luciano, just to add on that, I think uh, the word keyword here, uh, David, is consistency, right? We don't want to be stuck to the September, March dates. But, of course, we need always to gauge the market that we are in, sometimes overly optimistic, sometimes under over-pessimistic, like last year in March. So... Uh, we did the buyback in between because it was, it was clear that we had to do it. But normally we would be willing to do consistently, but as Luciano mentioned, we have to talk to the board. And you should expect, of course, dividends above minimum payment. Our next question comes from Mr. Carlos Dialba with Morgan Stanley. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Um, I guess uh, on the same topic, um, Eduardo, Luciano, are, are there any, I mean, clearly the company generates a lot of cash flows. It was surprisingly strong uh, quarter on that regard. Uh, as you mentioned, prices are higher. Um, are there any caps or, or limits to the amount of dividends, special dividends that, that that you would propose the company or the board for the company to pay. Um, I guess you know, the, 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 the regular dividends are very clearly defined by a formula, um, and, and we can probably look at the growth capex um, or growth 
potential growth projects uh, on base metals. But other than that, uh, is there any ca a cap or limit to the amount of dividends that the company would consider paying back to shareholders? And, and my second question, if I may, is on the Moati's divestiture process. Um, how can we? What are the expectations in terms of timing or next steps that, that we should that we should expect from from that process? And also, Luciana, maybe if you can walk us through how the um, yeah the process or the incorporation of of Moatis or Nakala into Valley's uh, books would uh, would look like. Uh, I guess you have to increase your debt um, and your interest payments uh, in, in in the coming quarters. Thank you. Okay. And Lucy, I'm just and Lucy, I'm just me get the first one. I think there there's no cap. Uh, there's always a balance, of course. We need to, and again, we need to assess market conditions, debt structure, cap structure, and and again, as I think you pointed out very correctly, our capex is pretty well behaved. is is all about, all around uh, platforms of growth, so you don't ex you shouldn't expect extreme capex. Uh, so there's nothing in our radar like that. And secondly, a question that a lot of people make, so I'll take the opportunity to, to make it clear, there's no transformation in M&A in our radar as well. So with that said, and Luciano mentioned in the beginning, I'm just paraphrasing Luciano, the return is going to go to the shareholders. Right, Luciano? Yeah. On, on, on Moatis, so we just finalized the, the revamp. Uh, we started to ramp up. We hope it will be quick. We hope by the beginning of the second half we'll be already producing 15 million tons. By the end of the year, we should receive equipment on site in order to uh, upgrade the production to 18 million tons. If you consider today's uh, thermal coal prices and, and mat coal prices a little higher than that, um, maybe 130, 140, the business can turn maybe that positive uh, quite soon and be cash flow positive at the beginning of next year um, without the burden of the project finance. And that goes to your following question. The burden of the project finance was always felt within Valley's financial results through the EBITDA of coal. So coal EBITDA is penalized today because the mine pays a tariff for the corridor, which is punitive. Uh, because it needs to be so in order to repay the project finance. So when you watch uh, last 150 million, for example, um, EBITDA for, for coal, about 100 million negative is, is just a service of the project finance funded through the tariff. Once you uh, purchase Mitsui, what's going to happen in, is that everything is going to be consolidated, and therefore the project finance will become Valley's debt, and those 400 million uh, a year, or three 400 million, they will be seen at the at the financial statements. Part of it as interest, and part of it as just uh, debt uh, repayment. But on the other hand, the the coal EBITDA will immediately improve by the same amount. And so that that's why I'm saying that you don't need much in order to turn coal EBITDA as a business positive. You just need to produce. And prices slightly better than what you're 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 seeing today. So, and that leads us to the next uh, stage, which will be given that I, ha I do have a project finance which bears Mozambican risk and uh, higher interest uh, rates. I, there's obviously the opportunity to refinance at much lower value uh, corporate rates and, and save uh, save money with that. That's what we're going to do in terms of timing timing for the divestiture. We already have over 20 NDAs signed with interested parties. Obviously, there's a way to go between people wanting to look at the asset and, and off, offering a firm intention to, to bid. We hope that we'll start to, go to have those intentions uh, again by uh, beginning of, of uh, the second half. Obviously, people are going to do uh, a lot of diligence on, on that. And um, if, if we succeed, uh, hopefully, the, the target would be to to try to sign a deal before before year end. Um, some variables uh, put some risk on that. So obviously, there's this dispute between China and Australia, which is waiting on on, on mat coal prices. Now you have uh, all the, the COVID-19 situation in India, which is a big importer of thermal coal, and also could wait on, on international thermal coal prices. 
So, so let's see if we if we're a little lucky. I believe we can we can sign uh, a deal still uh, by the end of the year. Our next question comes from Mr. Alfonso Salazar with Scotia Bank. And the update and good morning, everyone. Um, oh, the, I want uh, to ask about the outlook of the pellet market and if you can provide some guidance regarding uh, production for the rest of the year and, and in the coming years, um, if you can give us some color on that. Okay, Alfonso, it's Pinelli here. Thank you for your question. Well, pellet market, uh, let's talk about the, the demand side. Uh, it's it, it split this in, in blast furnace pellet and, and direct reduction pellet. The blast furnace pellet is, is quite the same as iron ore. Uh, we are not in China. Uh, uh, China is, is going really well. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, related to, to, uh, to, to the problem of uh, uh, necessity to improve the, the use of the, of the blast furnaces there. But the same pattern you see in ex-China, that's our, our market. Um, uh, very good prices, steel prices, margins, and necessity to improve uh, the production. So from this perspective, uh, you can see a, a room uh, for uh, sales and premiums. Um, the, the supply side, in, on the other hand, is, is a limitation. There's a limitation today, and Valley is the, the key producer and the key uh, uh, opportunity today. Uh, we expect the production this year slightly better than, than the year before. Uh, the limitation is the pellet feed production. Um, we have temporary restrictions to... Uh, dispose of our tailings in the main sites, so Brukutu, Editabira. Uh, so we, we don't expect to produce more than this this year, but we are targeting to uh, uh, go back to 60 million tons uh, capacity for next year. We're not, I'm not saying that we're going to do 60 million tons, but we want to be ready to do that. It, uh, it depends on uh, the, the demand perspective, the market perspective, uh, to, to define that. So, uh, as a conclusion, we see a market that uh, the premiums, we doubled the premiums in the first quarter compared to the last quarter last year. Uh, this current uh, quarter, uh, we again have another increase in the, the premiums. And we expect uh, there's room for some, uh, another increase in the premiums as you have uh, uh, the demand is really tight, supply demand is tight. Just an update about the direct reduction market. Uh, that's quite the same that I mentioned for blast furnace. Uh, we have some two more ingredients here. Uh, the USA coming really fast in their uh, uh, economy and all the all the stimulus that are coming. They they are uh, they produce they use a lot of scrap, but they need pallets to to improve their production. Direct direct uh, reduction. And the Middle East is our main market uh, because of the U.S., the, the increase of the, the use of scraps. The price of scrap in Turkey is really high. That makes uh, uh, our uh, clients, uh, put, they, can, they can charge higher price to have good margins now. And that, uh, definitely there is room again to... Uh, improve the margins, improve the premiums in this market. So the outlook for this year, uh, uh, demand, the, the supply is limited, and uh, we can see good premiums uh, uh, because of the demand that is, is strong in place. Our next question comes from Mr. Christian George with Societe Generale. Uh, thank you very much, and, and uh, uh, well done with your um, uh, medical assistance uh, in Brazil. Uh, I think it looks uh, very good indeed. Um, I, I had two questions for you. Uh, one of them is, um, uh, you just said no uh, transformative M&A, uh, even in a scenario of um, 
uh, higher prices for longer and, and uh, large cash flow. Um, does that exclude also some small M&A uh, on copper? Because you, in your statement, you seem to be uh, very positive uh, near-term and long-term on copper outlook. So you know, is, is this an area where you may consider putting some cash uh, you know, in a, a large cash availability scenario? Uh, and on the side of that, uh, would you consider any investment um, in, uh, in hydrogen um, in the context of uh, your customers in steel sector in trying to uh, um, move to green steel, decarbonize? <clears throat> Can you be part of that, or is that something which you're just looking at from a distance? And the second question is on, on nickel. Uh, you're out of New Caledonia. Um, you're still, obviously, uh, in uh, Indonesia. What was the situation with Class 2 nickel out there? Um, moving to, uh, you know, um, uh, being able to do sulfate and, and serve the battery um, market. Is it something you're still looking at down there, or is it something you're looking at only uh, at doing from uh, Canada and, and Brazil? Thank you. Hey, Christian. Uh, first of all, thank you for the acknowledgement of the Medical Institute. Thanks very much with our team. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're right. There's no transformative M&A. We are always looking for copper. It's very hard, as you might understand. But we, we, could, we shouldn't stop. So that obviously is one area of interest. Another area of interest is energy. And uh, you know you have a, we have a very bold uh, goal to, to eliminate our clean energy, to uh, not eliminate, substitute every, all of our matrix for clean. So might happen to have some very small acquisitions on that uh, environment. And hydrogen specifically, uh, it brings us to another subject that is very dear to our heart because we just announced the, the scope three uh, targets, one of the few that did that, by the way. And, um, and we, are, we, are, we are following up some players that are doing that, but necessarily I think more on a watching, uh, how can I say that, uh, seat. Uh, we are actually working very close to our customers. Spinetti could go, but I think because of time constraints, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go there that far. But... We're looking to help our clients with high-quality iron ore and high-quality metallics that will be needed if hydrogen, and we believe hydrogen is the best, together with, uh, with carbon capture, uh, best alternatives for the steel industry. But we are watching closely what the hydrogen is it's, it's, it's happening, but no investments on that, okay? And I think for Nico, I think it's better to mark to answer. He'll be more short and more objective. Okay, uh, sure, Christian. In terms of uh, class, uh, sorry, the the sulfate. You're you're right that the primary area of focus would be the Canadian nickel, um, but there are opportunities in Indonesia. The the most prominent of which is the Pomala HPAL project that is being studied and being discussed with Sumitomo Metals. That would be a clear um, that product would clearly go into the the sulfate market. So that one's right in front of us. Uh, the other ones are, I would say, aspirational or early. You know, there are opportunities, but nothing really of, of significance at that, that point in time. For example, there are HPAL projects that are uh, on the books by others in, in Indonesia, and there are parties that are interested in our, our limonite, for example, but there's nothing significant at this point in time. Our next question comes from Mr. Andres with UBS. Thank you very much for taking my question. Um, I, I hope you're all safe and well. Um, well, two, two questions, a, a volume question and then a freight question. Um, the, the volume question is kind of two parts, um, and, and you talked about it a little bit already, um, but, but Vale obviously has a number of, of licenses uh, that are kind of required to, to reach your production goal of 400 million tons down the line. Um, is there any kind of comfort or clarity uh, that you can give us on these licenses? I mean, are, are they, are they merely a formality? Do you, you obviously expect to get them, but is there any kind of visibility you can get, get that, that they're not going to be you know, significantly delayed at this point in time, either conversations with the, with the state or federal governments on this? Um, that's the first part of the first question. And, and within that, you, know, you, you obviously have always had a, a focus on value over volume, as has your you know, Australian peers. And one of the things I'm thinking about there is, you know, your additional capacity as it kind of materializes out of the northern system in particular, but but Bali's consolidated capacity could be 450 million tons. Um, you know, we're sitting at almost $200 a ton on iron ore, and, and if ever there was a time to kind of monetize that additional capacity, I, I would think it would be now. 
um, and, and basically, you know, add additional volumes beyond the 400 million tons with, with iron or 200. So, so, so how do you think about that, that strategy value of a volume given where prices are and given that you could have additional capacity um, throughout, you know, Valley systems going forward? That's kind of the first, sorry, slightly long volume question. Um, and then the, the second question is on freight. Uh, Luciano, you, you, you talked about a bit of freight inflation, obviously, and how it impacts your second half of the year. Um, how, how does that, if we look beyond the second half of the year, and if we look into 2022, 2023, you know, Vale is obviously going to be putting more volume into the market. You know, that could keep freight rates high. Like, if we're still sitting at $28 a ton by the end of next year, you know, is there additional freight inflation that kind of flows through your P&L, or, or are you still well protected on your freight contract? Um, so that's just a longer-term view on, on the freight cost. Uh, so those are my two questions. Sorry if they were a little bit long. No, no problem, Andreas uh, Spinelli speaking. Thank you for your question. Um, uh, regarding the, the risk uh, to achieve the volumes, uh, obviously licenses or, or authorizations are uh, always in our, uh, you know, in our track, and, and we try to plan with some, you know, extra delay to, you know, to, to, to keep the, uh, you know, our planning uh, okay. So, uh, what you see, if you, you know, split the the challenges in three the north we need to keep the the license uh, as a rolling process uh, we just uh, got the license uh, of a, a peat in 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 Serrasu in in S11D so it's business as usual is going well we don't we don't see any delay um in the southeastern system uh we are really close to bridge the gap of the lack of uh, of capacity, uh, dams capacity to install the filtrations. So uh, it, it's in our hands, uh, actually. We have final uh, licenses. Yes, we have, but we don't see uh, any big deal. And uh, I, I explained about the, the Torto Dam that we still have to do this, but we, if you have delay, we have a fallback position for that. We, um, we, um, I'm emphasizing that we are trying to bring in our planning process uh, buffers, uh, uh, contingencies to to be reliable in the end of the day. Um, jumping to your second part of the second part of your question, uh, value for volume is a mantra. So uh, we are ready to to bring back the 400 million tons, and we are. Uh, building the, the extra 50 million tons. This is 450 million tons. Uh, why? We want to be, uh, 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 you know, uh, okay with forget. We want to be uh, 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 reliable with our target of 400 million tons. And we can use an extra 50 million tons if the market uh, demands that. So that's, uh, that's our mantra. We're going to decide this as we evolve uh, in the market. So, uh, again, uh, but definitely we need to be ready for uh, uh, an extra capacity. And uh, about the freight, Lucian, I think I can start, you can uh, finalize. Uh, um, the freight side, we I can, can say that we are less exposed to this quarter, uh, this first half. Luciano said the second half, it's seasonally more exposed to, to, the, to, the, to the spot freight. Uh, but uh, don't uh, you must have in mind that we are bringing uh, an additional 18 Guaiba maxes for this year that will uh, match for uh, the demand of 400 million tons, and an extra six Newcastle maxes uh, for our fleet. Uh, we are talking about 170 vessels in our fleet today. So uh, we we are growing this these. Uh, natural hedge for for the the, the spot uh, market freight and uh, and definitely we consider the inflation today and the the last uh, uh, problem was uh, really related to to small vessels to paramaxes that just uh, came the 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 soybean seasons that make make this happen and contaminated the you know the big vessels market so. Uh, again, we need to live this. Uh, we're not forecasting any any big inflation for for the spot uh, market, and we are working hard to have our own fleet to offset any any problem in the market. 
And the additional point is, uh, 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 Total Fleet today, uh, we have installed all these scrubbers. Uh, that's another point that we're not uh, uh, being affected to the gap between the high sulfur and low sulfur also. So uh, the shipping business for us is, is very important to be stable. Said it all. Thanks. This concludes today's question and answer session. Mr. Eduardo Bartolomeu, at this time, you may proceed with your closing statement. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your attention and uh, questions and interest to, to talk to us. Uh, I think we've been repetitive in that way from day one. Uh, it's a marathon that we're going through. I think in the Valley Day, we, we said the risking, reshaping, and re-rating. The risking is advancing pretty well, still a lot of milestones to achieve. Example, be better on safety, be more assertive on, on production, but we did strides very good on Bumadinho. Capital discipline is zero doubt that we are on that. Reshaping BNC, it's a tremendous good example of how to do it with respect with communities. Mozambique's going to be another one. And re-rating is going to be our final mark, so we're going to be a more reliable, more safe in a more human organization that will be priced correctly. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your, your questions because that moves us to the right direction. And I hope to see you in the next call. That does conclude Bali's conference call for today. Thank you very much for your participation. You may now disconnect your line.